President Biden eyes the first major tax hike since 1993. The package could include raising the corporate tax rate and the individual rate for higher earners. And Cranes looked at available data to figure out when Chicago could get back to business as usual. Uh, this study looks at where the where they think the immunity would top out, and they usually have it coming up close to 90, but not quite hitting there at around 86 percent. Depending on the scenario, it's three to six months after uh, the low end gets hit. It looks like right now the latest data that the state has is 11.68% of Illinois' population has been fully vaccinated. So we are, we've got a ways to go. Today on the podcast, Crane staffers Stephanie Goldberg and Jason McGregor talk about how they did it. I'm Amy Guth, and this is Crane's Daily Gist. It's Monday, March 15th. When it comes to a professional like your doctor or lawyer, you want someone who knows you well. Wintrust believes you should have the same relationship with your banker, someone you can call directly and know they'll understand your concerns. Thousands of local business owners called their Wintrust banker when they needed Paycheck Protection Program loans. They called, Wintrust answered, and helped more than 11,000 local businesses secure funding. Learn more at Wintrust.com slash Daily Gist. Member FDIC. Cranes looked at available data to try to figure out when Chicago could start to get back to business as usual. It's kind of challenging to like find these projections. Crane staff members Stephanie Goldberg and Jason McGregor join the podcast now to talk about how they did it and what they found in the data. What I found the most interesting was all the various uh, scenarios that they worked up and all these things really affect when we reach herd immunity, such as how many daily doses we're doing. Um, I think the, the research that we looked at looked at three scenarios. Um, one at 1.7 million daily doses of vaccine being administered throughout the United States, and another one at 3 million. Um, and both of those included maintaining mitigation uh, measures like uh, wearing masks and social distancing. And then they looked at a third one that um, looked at 1.7 million uh, doses administered, but we ended uh, uh, those mitigation factors immediately. And so all those things sort of lead to like what we're going to experience over the next uh three months, six months, nine months, um, and what we might expect. I remember like when you first brought this idea up, I was like, okay, I'm going to reach out to some of my local sources that I've been talking to like about what we need to reach herd immunity. And like the first two or three people that I called, they were like, oh gosh, you know, it really depends. And I was like, okay, but if you had to like put a number or like, if and they were like, well, yeah, no, it just depends. And I was like, But like number, like you have numbers. (laughs) And so it was really hard to like drill down to like what you ended up achieving with this piece. I think it's really cool because like you were talking about some of the different mitigation efforts that go into like reaching herd immunity, like masking and social distancing and like, well, what happens if all of a sudden like large hordes of people just start using public transportation again? And, um, you know, those people haven't been vaccinated yet. Like that could happen and that would totally skew the number. The other interesting thing about within the data is that they um, have to make a bunch of assumptions too, as in like they assume that 80% of the people will take the vaccine. They have to make an assumption, you know, they're just kind of estimating um, herd immunity by by two things. One, how many people get the vaccine? And two, how many people have already been infected and have maintained some sort of natural immunity? And they are 
they're, they're trying to estimate that, but one, they don't know exactly how many people that is. And two, their assumption is that throughout the course of their study, people maintain that immunity uh, naturally. They break out two figures. Uh, they break out the total herd immunity, which are those two factors. And then they also look at when they think we would reach herd immunity by vaccine alone. And if you look at the 1.7 million do uh, doses um, being administered each day and maintaining the, the mitigation factors, they say that we would reach the lower threshold of herd immunity of 70% by sometime in mid-July. That's natural and vaccination immunity together. But if you look at just vaccination alone, they see that more um, in the fall, I think uh, around October. Well, I'm so glad that you just mentioned natural immunity. I feel like that's something that we should get into here because you and I have talked about this before. Like all these sort of models take into consideration the fact that some people will have already been exposed and recovered. But the thing that you and I are talking about that's so interesting is like researchers are still figuring out like what natural immunity looks like or how long like protective antibodies last after you've recovered from COVID. And so the reason that they're saying don't rely on this is because like there's data circulating now that says that could be three months, it could be six months, maybe closer to eight, but you know, certainly at least we don't think like anywhere near the protection of these shots. So it's, it is so important that they break that out. There's just there's so many different factors that it's hard to say like, you know, here's a specific date that this is going to happen. Uh, because if you go, if they go up to a 3 million doses a day and you maintain these mitigation factors, they say we could reach herd immunity by as early as uh, mid-May. And I think currently, at least last week when I last checked, we were doing somewhere in between, they were doing around 2 million doses a day uh, being administered. And in the, in, in the 3 million scenario, um, vaccine alone was getting there by uh, mid-July. Yeah. The other thing that you talked about that I feel like we should go back to is just that idea that like, this is all based on how many people actually get the shot. I was just on a, um, a suburban Cook County press briefing where Israel Rocha, the CEO of uh, Cook County Health, was saying 32% of all Cook County residents say that they're hesitant to get the shot. And so that's obviously like a huge factor that we need to be thinking about when we're looking at this model. Yeah, because I, I mean, I'm not an expert in you know um, herd immunity, uh, but I would imagine then fewer people that take it's going to push that date further back and make it harder to open businesses and uh, the economy up in this in, 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 uh, in the same time window that the data shows. The other thing that I like cannot stop thinking about is the fact that we technically don't really even know the percentage of people that need to be vaccinated. Like I, you mentioned this in the in the project that you just did, but like herd immunity, what the percentage is like to reach herd immunity varies from like disease to disease, and it's it's based on how contagious a disease is. I was like, I was reading the CDC estimates that like for measles, which is very highly contagious, it's estimated that ninety four percent of the population needs to be immune to prevent transmission. For COVID, the figure that we, the latest figure I think that we have is seventy to ninety percent, which is kind of a wide range. Yeah, um, this study looks at where the where they think the immunity would top out, and they usually have it coming up close to ninety, but not quite hitting there at around eighty six percent. Depending on the scenario, it's three to six months after uh, the low end it gets hit. It looks like right now the latest data that the state has is eleven point six eight percent of Illinois' population has been fully vaccinated. So we are we've got a ways to go. Maintaining mitigation, I think, over the over the summer, in the, from what I see in the data, kind of makes makes sense. I mean, they estimate that if we were to end the mitigation efforts right now, we might start getting to that lower level of herd immunity by early May. But 
about 221,000 people more could die from COVID as opposed to keeping that mitigation throughout the year. Every time I close out an interview with a public health expert, they're like, and if I could just trouble you one more thing, if you have space in your piece, could you just note that please encourage people to keep washing hands and, and masking and distancing? And I laugh not because it's funny, but because it is like they're so desperate to get this message out. And I like it just shows, I think, how important like the people who've been studying this for a long time, like yes, the vaccine is so important. And like, we're, it looks like we're on a good track, but everyone's like, please don't lose sight of like these other mitigations. You know, the other thing I wanted to ask you when you were looking to do this project or when you started finding this data and sort of coming through it, like, what did you find on the variant front? Like, I'm so curious how like the different variants play into these projections. Cause they're saying like some of them at least are much more easily transmissible. Yeah. So the, the uh, data that we're looking at comes from the public health computational and operations research uh, program. And that's part of the city universities of New York school of public health and health policy. And they did look into variants, but they made an assumption. And that assumption is basically that, that the um, vaccines uh, protect against the variants. Um, So if that's not the case, that's also going to affect the outcomes that they report. That is so interesting because that's something that like we started to notice with the Johnson and Johnson um, clinical trials that the the protection was slightly lower than with Moderna and Pfizer, and the estimate or the assumption, excuse me, was that that's because variants were circulating. So even though it seems like they they still generally do protect against new variants, I wonder if the varying levels are going to play into like what we end up seeing. I think that's a, a good a good point. You know what else is like something that's probably important to note in the context of herd immunity is, um, and we didn't really get into this, but right now the vaccines are only approved, or one of them I should say, is only approved for people 16 and older um, or 18 and older in the in the other cases. And so we still have like a whole subset of the population that isn't even eligible to get vaccinated. Um, and then obviously you've also got people who can't take the vaccine for other reasons, maybe allergies and whatnot. So it's it's interesting, like thinking about all this in the context of the fact that not everyone can even get it. So that's like another thing that's going to play in that we haven't even delved into yet. I tried to also, you know, when, when I was one thing I was trying to do, I tried to find some other studies that looked at this. And I think I only um, mentioned this a little bit near the end of the piece. Uh, but there's another uh, data researcher who runs a website just simply called COVID-19 Projections. That's such a good name for a COVID-19 projection site. I know, I know. <laughs> and um, and he found his his projections weren't quite as optimistic, although we, at least when you look at the raw numbers, he saw we would peak around June at 60%, but we wouldn't go above 64%. Ever? Throughout the end of the year. Oh, wow. And he's not a, he's not, um, a health expert. He's a data person. In his mind, that wasn't a bad number. He thought things would slowly start to open up at 64%. Uh, because you might not be at herd immunity, but maybe it's enough to start getting, maybe that brings your numbers low enough where business starts being able to function differently. So maybe it's not like a nothing's happening and then July comes and everything's open. It's more gradual, uh, which I thought was kind of an interesting perspective. Wasn't something I really thought about before. Yeah. I think it'll be interesting to watch like as different jurisdictions hit that number sooner than others, like especially like following this 
from the city of Chicago, but looking like overall at the state figures, like they're obviously going county by county. So we can see who's vaccinating, like what percent of the, the population, you know, for each public health department, local yeah, public health yeah. department. We've been looking at some of that data just each week. Um, <laughs> Every day. <on> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. For those listening, Jason and I spend a lot of time uh, looking at numbers and our colleague, A.D. Quigg as well. Yes. A year ago, I spent my spring break uh, working on all this data for the very first time. And uh, it's crazy that we're still looking at it and, and updating and making new things. Uh, I don't know if I anticipated that a year ago. I did not. I will never forget, actually. Uh, Jason, you and AD and I sort of like all sat down virtually um, a year ago and we were like, well, we should start tracking this, you know, like it'll be a good couple weeks worth of data. <laughs> Those are our famous last words. Yeah. Um, no, I'm really glad we've been doing this. It's going to be, I mean, it's really interesting to look back. Like, you know, we, we sort of just recently stepped away from doing hospital utilization uh, rates. Like we're yeah. still following those, but we're updating them less frequently now that we're focusing on vaccine. But it is so crazy to think about how everything has evolved over the course of this pandemic. This project was interesting because um, a lot of our other charts that we've done have been pretty straightforward visualizations. This one in particular, we tried to do something that's a little bit more of a narrative. I wanted to visually show people and and uh, and the and the virus kind of like it's not so much a chart where you're looking at a line chart although that's included in the project this one you know we kind of open up where there's a bunch of covid viruses that are kind of firing at you kind of trying to represent just how how heavy it was and you see it coming down the second part of the visualization i really wanted to get into was kind of like showing it in a small group of people of 100 people how many people that actually means to get to get to that and i feel like i hope that when you see like 70 people show up in that, that, that really hits is that that's a lot of people. And, that, and that's the low end. And, you know, as you go through the visualization and watch, it's really um, kind of tries to take these projections and puts them onto the people and, and shows um, visually by changing them to various colors, uh, um, shows what it looks like to, to hit such a big number. You can check out the visualizer for the data at chicagobusiness.com. Coming up, Chicagoans could be in for a shock as February utility bills come due, and that's on top of a surge in already late payments to People's Gas and ComEd. We'll talk about that and more right after this. Imagine if you had a Google Maps for your business, visualizing your path, guiding you to your destination while constantly optimizing your route to avoid accidents or traffic jams. Salonis's execution management system does exactly that. It pulls data from your existing systems, visualizes any business process, and automatically recommends or automates actions to take to achieve your business goals. Companies like Uber, Dell, Siemens, and L'Oreal are using Salonis to improve their processes and maximize their company's potential. Visit salonis.com slash get dash started to learn how your company can unlock its full potential. This is the Crane's Daily Gist with Amy Guth. President Joe Biden is reportedly planning the first major federal tax hike since 1993 to help pay for the long-term economic program designed as a follow-up to his pandemic relief bill. Unlike the $1.9 trillion COVID-19 stimulus, this initiative, which Bloomberg reported is expected to be even bigger, won't rely solely on government debt as a funding source. While it's been increasingly clear that tax hikes will be a component, key advisors are now making preparations for a package of measures that could include an increase in both the corporate tax rate and the individual rate for higher earners. 
The planned changes are an opportunity not just to fund key initiatives like infrastructure, climate, and expanded help for poorer Americans, but also to address what Democrats argue are inequities in the tax system itself. The tax hikes included in any broader infrastructure and jobs package are likely to include repealing portions of President Donald Trump's 2017 tax law that benefits corporations and wealthy individuals, as well as making other changes to make the tax code more progressive. That, according to people familiar with the plan who spoke with Bloomberg. No date has yet been set for the announcement, though the White House said the plan would follow the signing of the COVID-19 relief bill. To find more in-depth reporting on this story and details on the proposals currently planned or under consideration, visit chicagobusiness.com. Chicago-based United Airlines says it will stop burning cash this month. Crane senior reporter John Pletz is covering the story in detail at chicagobusiness.com. It's a hopeful sign for the Chicago-based airline that travel demand is picking up and the pandemic's year-long grip on the industry is loosening. A big reason that United is stopping the cash burn sooner than competitors is aggressive cost-cutting, including 1,500 headquarters jobs. TSA said it screened almost 1.4 million people at U.S. airports on Friday. CNBC reported that was the largest number of passengers in a single day since March 15th of 2020. Over the weekend, the New York Times reported that hedge fund Alden Global Capital might need to fend off a new potential buyer for Tribune Publishing, parent company of the Chicago Tribune. While Alden agreed last month to buy the rest of the company for $630 million, of which it already owns 32%, it would spin off the Baltimore Sun and two smaller Maryland papers to a nonprofit controlled by hotel businessman Stuart Bainham. But now it appears that Bainham could be looking for additional investors to put together a new bid and buy the entire company. Crane's reporter Ali Marotti has the story at chicagobusiness.com. Experts tell me that Bainham could be using this as leverage to try to help his own deal for the Baltimore Sun. On the other hand, investors from around the country could have seen a savvy business person like Bainham making a bid and want to get in on that. This is something that the journalists at the Chicago Tribune have been pushing for for a while. For the past several years, they've been looking for a local investor to buy the paper, and nothing has come through. One expert told me that seeing someone like Bainham make a bid and have good intentions for the paper, as in not slashing and burning it and rather investing in the company, may encourage others as well. Raising that much money could be a heavy lift, however, and it will be several months before we know how this plays out. Some Chicagoans could be in for a shock as winter utility bills come due. Roughly 3 in 10 Chicago households were behind on paying heating bills as of January, and that was before the cold and snowy February that's likely to result in even higher bills this month. The amount that Chicagoans were late paying people's gas in ComEd totaled just under $200 million. That according to utility reports submitted to the Illinois Commerce Commission. And that was up 23% from the same time last year. Crane's senior reporter Steve Daniels has the story. Chicagoans are really struggling to pay their utility bills. Data that has never before been made available that the Illinois Commerce Commission asked utilities to provide, and which was obtained by Cranes last week, showed that uh, there were nearly $200 million in late payments uh, owed to Commonwealth Edison and People's Gas. Uh, that was up from $160 million in January of 2020 before the pandemic hit. A couple of reasons for this. One is simply people struggling to pay bills, particularly their heating bills, which uh, have been rising steadily. 
and the other utilities being unable to pursue collections activities over most of the past year due to moratoriums on shutoffs for lack of payment in the COVID crisis. So someone's going to have to pay this, and by state law, those aren't the utilities. They are allowed to pass those costs along. Uh, the other thing that really stands out in this data is just how difficult this has been in lower-income parts of Chicago. In Englewood, just one neighborhood on the Chicago south side, nearly two-thirds of uh, households there are late paying their heating bill as of January. Forty percent of those are late by more than four months, and the average arrearage per household that is late is well over $900. So uh, the next thing to watch here is April 1st. Utilities will be allowed to resume cutting off service for lack of payment at that time. Uh, and uh, in the meantime, there are negotiations between the regulators, utilities, and consumer advocates about how to most fairly allocate the cost of this bad debt. And that's Crane's Daily Gist for now. Our continuous news feed lives at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much to today's guests, Stephanie Goldberg and Jason McGregor. Be sure to subscribe to these conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your audio on demand. And find hashtag Crane's Daily Gist on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn. And let's continue talking there about these and other business stories. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening. And I'll meet you right back here next time.